I want to, we're finishing our series, Practicing Presence, the way to becoming a non-anxious presence in a truly exhausted world. Um, and I want to start with this quote that has really struck me in the last number of months from John Ortberg. For many of us, the great danger is that not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives rather than actually living them. And I think that, that quote for me informs why as a leadership team and as a preaching team, we decided to, to do this series on practicing the presence. We wanted to revisit very ancient practices, the practices of worship, of prayer, of fasting, of silence, of solitude, of perspective. And now today, I have the utter privilege of speaking on Sabbath. Dallas Willard describes hurry as the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and he invites us to get rid of hurry in, our, in every form in our lives at every opportunity. I want to review the teachings on Sabbath, and I, I want you know that I'm all about a little bit of self-disclosure, and so at the outset, um, at Christmas, our daughter was home, and I noticed a, a very significant shift in her. She seemed to talk differently about things. She seemed to hold her work, her relationships, her life in a very different way, and I got really curious about it. Um, and I could see something had changed, but I, I didn't know what it was. And so over the course of several conversations, she said, well, actually, Mum, I've started to practice Sabbath. I've been digging into it, and I really live out of Sabbath. And she kind of blew me away because I could see the change in her, and I thought, I want that. I want that. And so I think what I saw was, it was like she was deep breathing all the time and living in this place of peace, and it was beautiful to see. And so I started to, to think about that and to study that in the early part of this year. And, and part of it has been a, a response to her. And in the last period of time, because of some physical health stuff I'm dealing with, I've had to really do some soul searching and soul gardening to think, am I actually living as I'm called to be as a follower of Jesus? Am I living from a place of rest? Or am I simply living and keeping going until my enforced rest comes? And I'm sure I can't be the only one of us in the room who gets to a period of annual leave and is sick because you're so exhausted. Who gets to a weekend and can't probably put a sentence together because you're so tired. And that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the ancient wisdom that is found in the story of God. And I have found studying this in the last few months and thinking about it and challenging myself, uh, I felt very provoked. And I trust that this morning you will too. Walter Brueggemann says, Sabbath keeping is a statement of our identity. It enacts an identity that goes against the mainstream. And Sabbath, it comes, the word itself comes from the Hebrew Shabbat. And we've thought it means rest, and it does, but it actually means stop, cease from, resist. Those are the actual Hebrew, that's the actual Hebrew word. 
And so we are designed to live out of this place of stopping, of ceasing, of resisting, and of resting. And that is what we're called to. So when I was thinking about this, anyone who knows me knows that I love to read novels. It's, it's something I, I really get joy out of. And I've been part of a book club for, oh, about 20 years. And I love it because I read things that I wouldn't normally read. And a book I read recently was called The Farm, uh, written by a woman called Joanne Ramos. And it's about, I'm setting the scene here. This is not about Sabbath. But the book is about this idea that it's a, it's a future world idea and it's not so far in the future that it feels ridiculous and therefore we can bin it. It's sort of a little bit ahead, not unlike Margaret Atwood, not unlike years and years it was on the BBC. And the story is that women who either are unable or unwilling to have children, they go to the farm and they pay women who live on the farm to produce a baby for them. And it's about motherhood, identity, race, color, privilege, all of that. It is a fascinating and disturbing book. And I was thinking about that idea of a future world that isn't so far away that it feels ridiculous, but it's a little bit away. And I thought about this idea, what would be the book I would write? Or what would be the idea when I was thinking about Sabbath? And so in my world that I'm creating, when you're a baby, you're born, and you sit in front of a panel of experts, and one of them, they say to you, so, here's the deal. You've got 70 years. Not a day more, not a day less. You've got 70 years. There's several ways to live these 70 years. It's your call. We want you to know about it now. We want you to think about it now and make your decision. You can live, there's one road that you can take, and you kind of paddle your own boat, you're in charge, you're responsible, you can choose how you spend your time, your money, who you have relationship with, you're, you're in control. And it's a, it's a very popular path, it's the one that the majority of people take. There's this other path that you can take. You still have 70 years, not a day more, not a day less. But in this path, it's a slightly different path, and in this path, 10 of those years, 10 of those years is for stopping. We're doing nothing, chillaxing, smelling the coffee, seeing your mates, whatever. You've got 10 years out of your 70. Research tells us that you will be healthier, you will be happier, your work will be more productive, your relationships will be better, your family will be better, but it's your call. The reason that people will take these 10 years is because it will remind them that you're not in control and that you're not in charge, that your days are numbered, and that it is about something much greater. But these are the paths that you have. Now, you know where I'm taking you here. You know where we're going. This is the call of God. One in every seven days you get to cease from. You get to stop, and you get to resist the hustle. Why would you not choose that? Why have I not chosen that? Why have we not chosen that? That is the invitation of Sabbath. And I think the teaching on Sabbath is very simple. The outworking of the teaching of Sabbath is actually very complicated and difficult because it requires us to put limits on ourselves. It requires us to put boundaries on ourselves. And it requires us to accept 
that we're not actually in control, that our days are not our own, they belong to someone else. And I often think that it, we can live like we are in control and it only takes one thing to slightly happen, maybe a relationship or an illness or a loss or a dream that got dashed that helps you to remember you're not in control. You simply live from the shadow of his wings. So that is where I want us to go this morning. I want us to go back, as it says in Jeremiah, it will come behind me, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. You're not starting out at a baby today. You're at the point wherever you are in your life, but you can choose how you live for the rest of your days. And we can choose this ancient path that offers us so much and will change how we think and feel about life. The Torah, as we know, speaks to the first five books of the Bible. And um, I want to read for when the first of the ancient teaching on Sabbath came. It came in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. It should come up on the screen behind me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this, God is at the top of Mount Sinai. He is speaking with Moses and he's setting out the mandate for living. The people of Israel who are God's chosen ones hear them and yet over the next few books of the Bible we, we will see how they did not live according to this mandate. They strayed and they did their own thing. And so at this point in the story of God, Sabbath is grounded in the creation story. It is mimicking what the Father did. I created the world in seven days and then I stopped. And I want you to do the same. I command you to do the same. What happened was that the result, the journey, the people of Israel, they were to go to the promised land, but they were living out of the mandate of God. And a journey that should have taken them 40 days took them 40 years. And over the course of those 40 years, every last one of that generation died and was lost. And so sometimes when I read that and I think about that and I think, oh my goodness, how could they have not lived as they were told to live, given where they were? And you can feel harsh about them, the people of God. And then you look at your own soul and I don't know if you've ever went through a period of your life where you've thought, I've really learned that lesson. God has taught me something. Circumstances, life, whatever. And, and I have learned a lesson about God and about myself. And then a period of years goes past and suddenly you realize you're learning the lesson again. <laughs> Somebody's nodding back there. And you suddenly think, did I not get that first time round? No, I evidently didn't. And so we are very like the people of Israel. We have, uh, have gone our own way. And so they ended up in Egypt. They were living under Pharaoh. He was a relentless master. Their production was never enough. They simply made bricks every day. And every day the quota got more. There was never enough. 
Pharaoh had them making bricks to build cities to simply houses of wealth, nothing else for no other purpose. He was never happy, he was never, it was constant anxiety, constant production, constant worry, constant work, and they were burnt out and exhausted. This brick-making culture was rooted in anxiety and it wreaked anxiety into all who lived under it. It was the absolute counterculture to what the call was to live out of Sabbath rest, Sabbath ceasing. And so the Exodus took the people of Israel away from Pharaoh and living under slavery and took them to the promised land where they were invited yet again to live under God's plan. And so the I want to read the passage from Deuteronomy. Uh Okay. I'm going to have to read it from behind you. Deuteronomy, it's not on my thing for some reason. So this point, Moses is back. It's an elderly Moses. He's back up and he's talking to them. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And then this bit is added in Deuteronomy, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. And so in this passage, after the 40 years in the desert, after the 40 years of living their own way, the Lord is reminding them, you were slaves and now you're free. So at the, in the Genesis story or in the Exodus story, when the commandments are given, it is speaking to them as a command. In Deuteronomy chapter five, it becomes an invitation. And, because, and it is an invitation for them to remember who your identity is with, what it is about, and what is important to you. And so you're not doing this Sabbath out of command, you're doing it out of invitation and response because it speaks to who you are. It is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and the slave drivers. And Sabbath and its presence practice is an act of resistance to whatever or whoever enslaves you. And what will enslave you will not enslave me. But we are all enslaved. We all live under our own Pharaohs. And I would invite you this week as you sit and think about this, preach and perhaps round your tables, talk about what, who is your Pharaoh? What is your Pharaoh? Because we will all be enslaved to something and that is not the call. We are called to live free. We are no longer slaves. Rob Bell has a beautiful quote. Sabbath is a day when you act like the work is done, even if it isn't. Sabbath is when you spend a day remembering that efficiency and production are not God's highest goal for your life. Joy is. Joy is. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful quote. The story of God then moves on to Jesus. And Jesus tells us in Matthew and Mark and Luke in three different, chapter, in three different books, 
I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the fulfillment of Sabbath rest. And the Sabbath was made as a blessing for you. And so Jesus is continuing in the story of God and reminding us that Sabbath is there for us to do transformative things. It is a resurrection way and it is a practice of a lifestyle. And it gets our identity away from production, away from output, away from success. Jesus' call is come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Abraham Heschel describes Sabbath as the opportunity to build great cathedrals of time. 24 hours in every seven to build a cathedral of time for you and God to do what you need to do. And everyone's Sabbath will be different. And I think I, I grew up in a Sabbath observing family and for it I'm very thankful but I realized that my Sabbaths were more about rules. And then I moved into a period of my life where I felt, no, I'm free of all of that and everything's good and it's, we've, we've made it all new and I can do anything on Sabbath. And now as a, perhaps a more tired and mature person, I've realized that actually Sabbath is a freedom that I can choose 24 hours every week to cease, to rest, to spend time with those that I love and to think. Why is it so relevant now? I want to read you this quote from um, Octavia Hill in 1895. She was a social reformer and brought about great strides forward for housing for the poor. And this was her quote, our lives are crowded, overexcited and overstrained. We all want quiet, we all want beauty. We all need space. Unless we have it, we cannot reach that sense of quiet in which whispers of better things come to us gently. She gave, that is the quote that is cited when she and two other friends set up the National Trust. And so she, she felt that people needed spaces to go and be in God's good green earth. And to, she was a woman of faith who radically transformed house, social housing in the city of London in the 1800s. And what she then did was she wanted places where people could go and enjoy God's good green earth. What a wonderful thing. In 1950, Thomas Merton reminds us that there is a pervasive form of contemporary violence, activism, and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. How many of us are living with this contemporary violence and we think it's our success or we think it's what we're meant to be? It's not. Um, this is not a book I read. It was recommended to me by um, one of my sons, a book called Jonathan Crary. It's called 24-7, Late Capitalism and the Ends of Sleep. And so what Jonathan Crary wrote, it's a fascinating book. It's now on a lot of university master's reading lists because it's speaking to the world we are now living in. And what it tells us is that the US military for the last 30 years, out of funding uh, designed by the Pentagon, are, have been observing those little swallows that fly all night. You know the ones that there's a, a certain white, white, what's it called? White crowned sparrow. And they can fly and migrate for seven days without sleep. 
and the Pentagon has funded uh, research to see what we can learn from these sparrows and imitate it in the military. And as well as working on that, they're working on an anti-fear drug so that we create humans who can go without sleep and can go without fear. That should really disturb us, that that is the world that we are living in. It also speaks of how in the 90s in Russia, uh, they developed a 24-7 light where they could reflect the sunlight onto the earth for 24 hours a day. The idea was that in Siberia, people didn't have to lose lots of sunlight, but then they thought it would be really helpful to do it over all the cities because then people would never have to sleep. People would constantly work, constantly produce, constantly go in the machine. So if we in this age think that we are not living under Pharaoh, we are deluded. And the call for us is to remind ourselves that we are not slaves, we are free. He said, the marketplace now operates through every hour of the clock, pushing us into constant activity, ending forms of community and political expression, damaging the very fabric of everyday life. It's a fascinating and deeply disturbing book, but I think it's important for us to realize that the, the drives that are happening at a wider systemic level are that we will eradicate the need for sleep and we will eradicate the need for rest. I don't know how we as human beings will be able to manage that, but that is what is going on in the bigger picture. And so for me, this, this ancient path, this ancient way is utter, utterly appropriate and prophetic in these days. Todd Henry, who wrote an ac The Accidental Creative, he talks about how map out your week, have weekly checkpoints, use boundaries across all the domains of your life, Focus on your relationships, your energy, your stimulus, and your rest. People are talking about these ways, and yet we have this wisdom, and do we always live out of it? I love the message version of this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That I believe is, I, I read a beautiful blog a few weeks ago um, by a woman called Bronnie Ware and she talked about regret. She works in palliative care and she talks about regrets of the dying. I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I'd stayed in touch with friends. I wish I'd lived a life that was true to myself and not to others. And I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I would suggest that taking one day in seven to stop and to think and to wonder and to spend time with those we love, to spend time in the presence of God, to study, to pray. I would suggest that those might change if we were to future forward our lives. Those might help us to live with less regret when it really matters, when it really matters. Henry Nguyen, who I think is 
nothing short of a genius. He says, in general, we're very busy people. We have meetings to attend, visits to make, services to lead. Our calendars and our weeks are filled with engagements, years filled with plans and projects. There is seldom a period in which we do not know what to do, and we move through life in such a distracted way that we do not even take the time and rest to wonder if any of the things we think, we say, or we do are worth thinking, saying, or doing. Perhaps one day in seven is the time to stop and to consider what that might look like. Six days a week, Heschel tells us, the great Jewish teacher, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing a prophet from the earth. But on the Sabbath we care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. Everyone will do Sabbath differently. That is what I've learned and what I've, I've thought about. The point of Sabbath is to remind us that we're not in control. We get to celebrate the fact that we're quite weak. We get to acknowledge that we're small in the great big scheme of things. And we get to acknowledge our mortality. And we spend our day doing things that nourish our souls. So I've, I've talked with some people and they, they use Sunday as their Sabbath. But if you're here from nine o'clock in the morning setting up and doing coffee and da 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 that may not be your Sabbath. And so my Sunday when I was a kid was that I got up, I went to Sunday school, half 11 church, lunch, crusaders, which was an afternoon Bible study, tea. And then from the age of seven, I went to the evening service. And then when I was a teenager, I added in the youth. So I had about six events on a Sunday. It was kind of church hustle as opposed to life hustle. <laughs> and it was exhausting, but fun. And um, I was thinking this week that at the age of seven, my dad was a minister, so my mum was at home with my brother and sister. So I went down, I was handed over to this lady, lovely woman who sort of looked after me. And we started in the car before the service where she would take a pound box of chocolates and tip them into her handbag, dairy milk, milk tray. It was the 70s, that kind of thing. And her and I would chomp our way through a pound box of chocolates for the seven o'clock service. That's probably where my deep love of chocolate started. Um, but, and I'm very good at mental maths because I had to add up the numbers on the hymn board. Um, I'm not sure what I got out of a seven o'clock service at the age of seven, apart from chocolate and mental maths. And I liked seeing my dad and hearing him talk, but um, maybe it was a practice that, yeah, there's obviously other people that's resonating for you, yeah. But my de those days were busy. There was lots of good things in them, but they were busy and it wasn't restful. And so I wonder if, the twin, if, if that is your busy day, then perhaps Friday to Saturday is your, your Sabbath. And I think the other thing to think about is that Sabbath rest and those 24 hours, everyone, everyone's Sabbath will be different. What your idea of rest will be different to mine. I have a very precious friend and she was telling me that her idea of a treat would be an hour on her own in the Abbey Center, ruffling around the shelves, finding bargains. It's alien to me, which makes her very precious to me because it's alien to me. But that's, that might be her idea of a treat. It wouldn't be mine, but that's good. So I, I think we, we don't need to be rule-bound when we think of Sabbath rest, but we do need to think, is it worship or is it rest? 
Those are the two principles that I believe the 24 hours are to be given to. Acts of worship, which may be sitting at the top of a mountain and admiring his beauty. But acts of worship and acts of rest. And so I wonder, Redeemer, I know that this has spoken very deeply to me and, and, and has challenged me about how I spend my 24 hours in every seven. But I wonder how you will take this on and do it. Would you consider it? If we know that it is better for us, if we know that it is the ancient way, if we know that it is a way to practice the presence, then perhaps we as a community can start to think about how we do that and encourage one another and, and cheer one another on and find different ways. Olivia doesn't spend money on a Sunday. She does all her shopping before it. She has all her prep done. She goes out and meets friends. She has friends for dinner, whatever. She doesn't spend money. She doesn't do anything to do with Monday. She doesn't check her emails or do a lesson plan. She has utter quiet and rest. And that, I think, is a very good way to start. And she was saying this week that she's adding more and more things, like her phone and her, you know, all of these things in this world that we live in. Everyone's rest will be different. Everyone's rest will mean something different to you than to someone else. However, the point is, think of worship and think of rest. And if it fits those two things, do it and enjoy it and celebrate it. Niall Williams, one of my favorite writers, he has this beautiful quote in his latest book, and I want to end with it. And he's talking about your natural father. I want to use it as a way of inviting us to think about our heavenly father or mother, God, the beautiful, mysterious one. Your father is a mystery that takes your whole life to unravel. How do you unravel that ministry? How do you unravel that mystery? Time, intentional time. And so the invitation, Redeemer, is for us to take the time to unravel the mystery that is our heavenly father, our heavenly mother, and to see where that journey takes us as we begin to imbibe this teaching and live out of a place of rest. I would like to invite the band now to come and um, Sabbath speaks to our identity. Sabbath speaks to who we are, that we are no longer slaves, that we are free. And where our freedom begins is at this cross. And that is what we celebrate today. And so I would like us, just as we sing and as we worship, to come and remember that because of this blood that is represented here and because of this body that was broken that is represented here, you are free. You no longer need to live as a slave. You no longer need to live obsessed with production and success. You are the child of the beautiful one and of the king. And as that, you are free. So please come, please take your time and enjoy this beautiful meal. And remember that the welcome of this table is the welcome of Jesus. It is not ours as a leadership team or as a community. It is the welcome of Jesus. So come, come and eat.